Welcome to the Triclinium Podcast. My name is Nate Lead, and I'm with my co-hosts Jacob Holly and Eric Burgers. On this podcast, we talk about faith, theology, and all things ministry as we as we seek to be a part of God's redemptive mission to His people. We named this podcast the Triclinium because we want to invite you, the listener, to the table where these conversations happen. So join us as we continue to talk about the book of Philemon uh, and all that this great letter has for us. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Nate. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Nate. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Lord and I have, uh, we're recording this on a Saturday and Lord and I have already had a pretty busy weekend. On Thursday, we went to a, a Thomas Rhett concert. We got free tickets from oh. my coworkers. And uh, so that was really fun. We got to see him live. It was our first concert, actually. So, wow. uh, yeah, it was really cool to see him live. Uh, and then yesterday, we got free tickets to a uh, Texas Rangers game. So we went and watched some baseball, <laughs> also from my wow. coworkers. So my coworkers are, are keeping uh, my wife and I's dating relationship alive. So <laughs> wow. Wow. That's funny. So, yeah, having a good That's weekend. Funny. But this is, this is the highlight right now. So... <laughs> This is it. Forsake your wife. This is the highlight. Yeah, don't, don't tell my wife. <laughs> I, hope, I, I was going to say, I hope Lauren doesn't listen to this. Um, no, I was just talking funny. with Aaliyah. Like, the only... I'm trying to think of professional sports games that I've actually been to. I know I've seen the Trailblazers, but outside of that, I don't know that I've seen any other like actual professional sporting event. I might have seen a Mariners game when I was little, but... Yeah, I, I like it's wild to me because now, like being in the location that we are now, there's so much more sports like across all leagues, like different teams that are around here. So I'd like to get get out and like go see them. But um, yeah, it's crazy to me that I, I've like really not seen that many professional sporting events. Yeah, yeah. you know, so we're all from kind of the Portland, Oregon area. Uh, I grew up in a small town south of Portland. Portland's not known for professional sports uh, <laughs> by no. any stretch of the imagination. So there's the NBA, uh, the Trailblazers there, and then there is the MLS, uh, the Thorns, and the, uh, the uh, oh gosh, see, we we don't I don't even know well, what's the men's. You want to throw the you want to throw the Portland Pickles in there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of Double A and Triple A baseball teams. Uh, but the timber, t- t- oh, the Timbers, Portland Timbers, there it, that's the men's soccer team. So if you want to see yeah. uh, any other sport, you got to really fight for it in Oregon. So mm-hmm. now that I'm in Dallas, Texas, sports is a completely different yeah. world down here. It, yeah. it is mm-hmm. a religion, and it, it is, uh, it's really interesting to look at kind of from an outsider's perspective, especially the college sports realm. It's mm-hmm. really interesting because people – go to Texas colleges and then they root for those teams the rest of their life. And mm-hmm. the, the fan loyalty is astonishing out here. So it, it's really interesting to, to be in the Bible belt. Texas is kind of the start of that Bible belt. And then you also see huge amounts of sports fans and this kind of loyalty and this, this almost mm-hmm. religious mm-hmm. aspect to sports. So where, where you find faithful people, you also find faithful sports fans, which is kind of interesting yeah that's okay that that is interesting see i've always i've uh the joke in my family is that like i'm completely 
like blind and deaf to anything sports like i have no idea i don't follow <laughs> anything uh i like to make jokes about how i'm rooting for certain teams and i'm not even sure that they're real teams right um eric has well, I, been whatever over to my I, place. I was just gonna say whatever i come to your house his grandparents are like really big sports fans like uh-huh. university of oregon fans and in particular and so i would sit there and talk college football with jacob's grandparents all the time and jacob just had to sit there with a blank face and it was the funniest thing ever (laughs) yes staring and wishing i understood even an ounce of what was going on (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's like you're not the only one eric when i was living with my grandparents i Mm. it got to the point where every person i brought over to the house every one of my friends I brought them over, and the first thing they would strike up a conversation with my grandparents about was sports. And so I'd be like, I almost started allocating the first 30 minutes of every meeting I had as like, well, they're just going to talk with my grandparents about sports, and then we can actually go and talk. So anyways, it it became like a plight, uh, (laughs) a a common problem. That is so funny because uh, I've started to notice that some people tend to attract certain friends. And so like, for example my old neighbor that I started going to CrossFit with, he, uh, he loves to surround himself with really tall white guys, like really athletic guys. <laughs> and he's a, he's a short, uh, Chinese man. And so he's, but he's a marathon runner. He's so much more athletic than me, but he, everybody that he's like, Oh yeah, this guy's meeting us there. Or, Hey, let, I want you to meet my friend. It's always this tall white guy, which is so funny. And I was just another one of them. Which it was so funny. (laughs) Yeah. And so, Jacob, I think that you just tend to attract sports fans. (laughs) I know. It's a huge problem. I'm looking looking at therapy to see if I can change it. Uh, (laughs) But I'm not sure that I'll be able to evade the curse. Um, But, yeah, that's that's funny. That's funny. I think growing up, I was always – I always had really tall friends. And maybe it's just because I'm, like, 5'5". So, like – everybody's tall compared to me but like that was always a thing it's like i was the tiny one that attracted all of the tall friends so yeah i don't know there's something there all right let's get into it y'all yeah <laughs> Fine. eric's Philemon. tired of this eric, I'm, re- no, I'm ready for yeah. philemon i don't, all I don't right. want to drag let's the point any longer than we got to <laughs> yeah we've spent eight minutes talking about stuff that doesn't matter now it's time it's time to jump in so, right, so um, are, we, are we all working with different translations again? So I'm, I basically reread it, and I, I reread it in the ESV. Um, mm. If you guys want to keep track in, in other... I know, that, I know that Eric's favorite is in the ESV, but I put, took all my notes in the ESV, so I can't change over to anything else. Um, but guys, when I was reading this, Today, I feel like I came up with so many thoughts and questions, and I'm so excited to talk with you guys about it. So, yeah, uh, love, let's dive in. I'd love to do it, even just skimming back over it right now. You know, more questions coming to my head. And, of course, I think yeah. we still got to get to the big question that kind of lurks behind this chapter, although I'm not sure it, like, directly addresses it. But uh, the question of uh, Christianity and, and slavery, I think, would be something we should probably discuss today. Yeah. Otherwise, we would be b- doing a bit of a disservice to to the chapter. But I yeah, you're right. It. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I was I was uh, rereading it and kind of trying to study, I decided to look up some homilies that were preached by I think it was John Chrysostom, mm-hmm. um, and so he was 
I was kind of listening to his take on Philemon, and he brought up some really interesting things, so as we go along, I might try to drag him into it as well. Um, but the first note I had was on verse 8, so I'll go ahead and read for 8 through 9. Um, accordingly, this is Paul writing, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, uh, you being Philemon, uh, to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and prisoner, um, uh, also, and, and, and I'm sorry, uh, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Um, so the, the key of this, the thing that struck me about that set of uh, verses is that Paul Paul recognizes and even articulates that he has leverage over Philemon. Yeah, he's like I, I, you know, this. I think this is a ver- the very heart of meekness is like knowing that you could totally uh, use force to get what you want, but uh, allowing someone the opportunity, uh, and even as Paul does humbling yourself under someone as a beggar right so he could come in as as you know as an apostle and basically say listen dude uh on behalf of jesus christ i i command you to give me onesimus right um and i can i can uh i can put the the mortal sin mark on your head right um Mm. but he instead he says yet for love's sake for love's sake and that's important right he because he loves philemon I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, and then he says, an old man and a prisoner, right? So he's, I, I think the, I think the key there is, like, not only is, is Paul saying, like, but I want to give you the chance to be nice to me, but he's saying, like, he, he highlights his weaknesses. I am the old man and prisoner. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are physical limitations that would keep me as well from from just yanking Onesimus away from you. Um, so I, I think maybe the question behind this is, what does this, I, I think the, the, the beauty of, of uh, analyzing Paul's writings uh, is that we get an idea of what the received gospel looks like when it's lived out, right? So it's not that Paul is always speaking in the place of Jesus, I mean, he he is speaking Jesus's words, but but he also plays this unique role of being one who has received the gospel and is trying to tune his life to match the frequency of the gospel um, that he's received. And mm-hmm. so, if if this is what it looks like to be a faithful believer in this instance, um, what does that teach us? What what do we glean from that? about how we ought to deal with um, people around us, and especially people who we could say owe us things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting that you raised that question. Um, and two things came to my mind as you were speaking. One is that um, it does seem as though that Paul is sort of living out um, the gospel in the sense that in this situation, um, he's not exercising brute authority and force over Philemon, but rather, as he says in verse nine, he's making an appeal because they're brothers. Mm. And he says that later on, actually. Um, And I think it relates to him as well when he's speaking in verse 16, talking about Philemon and Onesimus being more than a slave master relation, but, but brothers. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, 
surely that would apply to uh, to Paul as well. So to your point, Jacob, I think, yeah, he's um, manifestly um, living out what he's saying in the first couple of verses, uh, being that he's appealing to Philemon, not just taking the brute force route, which would have been certainly probably in Philemon's eyes, um, that would be much less approachable. Um, and he probably would be much, Mm -hmm. much more closed minded, I would imagine to this issue. Um, and then he's actually living out, um, that appeal that he's going to make further on. And he's being, he's modeling himself as a, a brother in Christ. He is actually living out the fact that he's calling, uh, finally meant to be more than a, than a bond servant or sorry, excuse me, the other way around Onesimus to be more than a bond servant, but a brother. Uh, and he modeled, so what he's asking Philemon to do, he modeled in the verses previous in the sense that he's, Mm. he, Paul is not exercising brute authority over Philemon in the same way that Philemon ought not to exercise brute authority to Onesimus. That's solid. Yeah, I didn't notice that, the relational parallels there. Yeah. That's good, Eric. But, well, yeah, all, the, all that comes from your, your notice, Jacob, so I think uh, that's just kind of what came to my mind. I know I said I had something else to say, but um, kind of forgot it, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, think, I'll think about it again, and uh, Nate, I'd, I'd love to hear if you have anything yeah, you want to add. Man, there is so much here. Like, even in this verse, I, I have so many different thoughts going through my head right now. Uh, the first one that came to my mind was uh, just exactly what, what Jacob was saying. It's, you know, Paul, some people could read this and look at it as, oh, Paul is almost threatening uh, Philemon right. in this way. Like, Paul is uh, making an appeal to authority in order to move his uh, logical argument further down the the railroad and and as we know uh, an appeal to authority is a logical fallacy and as we know paul is a master logician like he there's a reason why romans was taught in law schools uh all the way through the 20th century um because the the logic is so sound his argument the way that he is making an argument is so profound it is so uh clear and concise and so in, in another way you know he's making this appeal to authority uh, but then he he's he doesn't uh, he he doesn't grasp onto that. He could he could just say, "Look, I'm your supre- superior. Uh, do this, or or you're you're going to be a or that's insubordination, basically." But mm-hmm. but he draws attention to it, and I think out of love he says, "Look, I I could do this, okay, but I I don't want to because like he just because he says on the basis of love." Like, I, I don't want our relationship to turn into, uh, uh, you know, this power dynamic. Like, I, I love you too much to do that. Even though I could, I'm not going to. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, like, that, that is awesome. And I think that uh, I'm trying to bring my thoughts back to my... Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Man, I'm, well, I'm I'll to, con- yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, guys. Yeah, I'll continue with that. I do. You guys have any objections to kind of that parallel that I'm seeing there from verses eight and nine, and then paralleling with sixteen there? Because that seems clear no, as day, totally. clear as day to me now. You know, in the same way that Philemon 
could exercise brute authority over Onesimus and order him back um, and maintain that kind of direct authority over him. Paul, I think, comes on strong in verse 8 when he's saying he could command you because he literally has spiritual unique authority from God over Philemon as an apostle of the church. And yeah, he's rather than exercising that authority in the same way Philemon could, he's modeling humility and, and asking Mm -hmm. his brother to consider the request that he's going to make. Yeah. He's giving agency back to Philemon. So that that's the word that came to my mind too is, is agency Mm. because he could Mm. remove Philemon's agency and say you are going to do what I tell you to your what you do is now based on what I say okay so you are now an extension of me and I think that uh, you know as we consider this just in the modern day and what we do you know that there is a uh, there's a very real desire for us to just control the things around us to make things happen the way that we want them to uh, right and what what Paul shows us here is that no it it's okay. And, and if you love someone, you will give them the agency to do as, you know, quote, to, to do what you ought to do, to do the right thing, you know, to, Mm. to act in love, not out of revenge or spite or anything else, you know? So, and yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah. So just a couple of other passages that I think even, kind of get at maybe the heart, the, the the propositions that are going through Paul's head as he's, or the teachings of Christ that are going through Paul's head as he's, as he's going about writing this letter. You can hear a couple of things. Firstly, uh, what came to mind immediately was Matthew 20, uh, verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for, as a ransom for many. So Paul is, is exemplifying this um, willingness to take the lowly position. And in the same way, so he's, he's willing to let um, Philemon, Philemon make the final decision, right? It says in verse 14, but right. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be com- uh, be by compulsion, but of your own accord. But then, in the same way, his he his childlikeness comes into this, right? So the the command of Christ that um, those who welcome children are welcoming me, and um, the basically those who do not become like a child will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, who do not take the lowly position of the child. I think his childlikeness comes out in expressing genuine need, right? He comes as a prisoner and as an old man who is, who who has, I won't say fallen in love because I don't know that that's maybe adequate for our current cultural situation, but he's he's become deeply attached to this young man and has uh, has a genuine need for him, right? He He's a prisoner. So yeah. Onesimus was probably um, bringing materials back and forth or helping him in some other way uh, as kind of a, a servant while he was in chains. And so for Paul to say, to come at it from the vantage point of like, I need this, please help me. I yeah. need this, right? Do me a favor yeah. is an expression of his own weakness. And so maybe as a, a following question, unless anybody has anything else to say on those two things, 
Um, a question that comes to mind for me is, um, what what does that mean for the co- for the context of people in ch- the midst of church life who are in need? I, like as Americans, I think we we oftentimes want to put our needs aside and not let anyone know that we need anything. Um, we want to be independent and self-sufficient. So what does this passage say to people who are unwilling to let the world know that they need something or let, the, let their brothers and sisters know that they need something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. And I, I agree with all of what you said previously, Jacob. So stop me if, if I just repeat something you said, but Paul in verse 12 saying that he's sending I'm sending my very heart does seem yes. to indicate to me that uh, this is this is something that he really needs from Philemon uh, the fact yeah. that he's making an appeal he's humbling himself he's sending him back with his very heart um, mm-hmm. he needs him for assistance as he's in prison um, and he wants Philemon to make the choice uh, on his own accord uh so the fact the very fact that he's sending him back puts the ball in Philemon's court to make a decision because he could have just wrote him a letter and said hey can i keep onesimus here but that wouldn't have that would have been not ideal for Philemon who isn't even around onesimus so I, all of that to say i'm just agreeing i think in principle with what mm-hmm. you were saying there jacob um and then further um can you just restate your question one more time and I'll give a quick answer? Yeah. What, like, what how does Christians that appear? Yeah. To today. Yeah, how, what, is, what do Christians in the church nowadays learn? What should they learn from Paul's humble posture of being willing to express genuine need and, and not even need like my body needs this, but need from the vantage point of deep love of something, right? Like he just, I, I think... Paul would have probably made it without Onesimus, right? It's not like, uh, you know, like food, water, sure. shelter kind of need. But he he wants Onesimus yeah. from a vantage point of desperate desire. And so, like, what does that tell us as Christians about how we ought to approach our desires and, and uh, within the context of the church? Yeah, I mean, one thing to note with that question, I think, is that Paul's asking is clearly rightly ordered in this situation. So like the danger of going out of your way to express a need to those within the church um, in whatever fashion that might be, the danger is that um, you don't really need it. It's more of a want, right? And Mm -hmm. you're going out of your way to uh, that might in fact burden somebody uh, in a Mm. way where, where, if you didn't actually need it and you're burdening people, um, I, I would argue that's a bad thing. Uh, and you yeah. probably shouldn't do that. Um, so Paul, in this case, um, the very fact that he's sending Philemon back, that he's not exercising, exercising apostolic authority over him and rather making mm-hmm. an appeal in uh, the fact that he even expresses in... Uh, Let's see, was it verse 14? Um, but the fact that he's expressing, I want you to make this decision with, without any sort of sway, 
seems to indicate that Paul is really, you know, trying to come from the right place here and making this plea for a need. And so Mm. what we can glean from that is, you know, there are times for everybody at different points in their lives where they truly do need help in some way or or fashion. Um, And the church should be able to, with open arms, come around those who are in need. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the duty of the church and, and provide for those needs. Um, but what I'm arguing here, I guess, is you got to really have a need, you know, Hmm. um, we should, we shouldn't be going out of our way to, to burden other people, um, in the same way that I'm sure if, if Paul just kept Onesimus, uh, away from Philemon, that probably would have been a great burden. Otherwise he wouldn't have wrote the letter in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. There, there's something going on here where the fact that he's making an appeal, he's going out of his way to write all of this, that mm-hmm. um, this probably isn't an ideal situation for Philemon, I would imagine. So yeah. in, in the same way for us today, um, you know, people should be open. The church should be willing and open to humble themselves and even at one's own expense at times uh, help other people who are in need within the church body. Um, but mm-hmm. those who are receiving the help, just to kind of close my point is, uh, you know, we ought to be coming from a place of genuine, genuine need, um, and authenticity. Otherwise, um, it's kind of all for naught. I would, I would argue. Hmm. So what if I pushed back just a little bit and maybe tried clarifying something? Yeah. Um, what if instead of going based off of the the metric of uh, how much something is needed or whether or not something is a genuine need, um, in, just as Paul is doing in this instance, what if we expressed all needs, mm-hmm. but then allowed uh, allowed by the consent of the people for the people to to um, aid us? as as they saw fit to aid us right like i think we can all tell when somebody is in the church who um as paul would say is um is not working and should not eat right that kind of like they're they're mooching right or they're they're abusing the generosity of the church and i think that the church kind of naturally will tend to even for the sake of the the good of the individual because it is better to give than to receive will will attempt to disciple that person in, an, in a different direction right and will maybe close their generosity for a time in order to um to clarify the 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 point of the generosity and to clarify the 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 beauty and and um and the the joy of giving that this person is missing out on by being someone who's constantly asking and never giving but what if what if we were honest with people about even things that aren't necessarily like you know like i said food water shelter needs but are our desperate wants and we allowed like paul is do uh, is doing here like not by compulsion by no means of compulsion or or like pushing them into it like i'm gonna if you don't give me i'm gonna do this that or the other thing no leverage but just basically offering them the opportunity to be generous with us what if we did that more often like yeah let me let me interrupt an appropriate way of going yeah let me interrupt for a second i i because 
I agree with you in principle there, Jacob. I, I do I do think even wants can be expressed in the church. I don't think that's a detriment to any individual. You know, I don't think like you're mm-hmm. you're sinning if you express a want. That that wasn't my intent. Uh, what okay. what I was trying just to go a little further to hopefully clarify a little bit. What I was trying to express there is that Paul is asking something of Philemon that is a, likely a severe detriment to him in some sort of fashion, right? Hmm. So if we're going out of our way, to, like this is a big ask of Paul. He's saying to give yeah. up your your slave, right? And and at the time, I would imagine that's it, that financially, that's probably a a big burden upon Philemon just to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to flip courses like that and to let him or or to kind of transfer to a different relationship with him, I guess, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So. What I was trying to express there is in that context, in the sense where um, this is a when you're asking something that that as big as what Paul is asking of somebody uh, who may be within the church, uh, I, I do think that it's fair to say that there should be a level of uh, authenticity um, and a sense of trying to be genuine uh, in in that ask if it's going to cause some sort of personal um personal detriment i guess you could say to the to the those who are going to be the ones giving um so within that context is kind of what i was going to express i wasn't trying to say that you know you should never express mm-hmm. um small needs proper or or wants but rather that um in this letter, it seems to be a big deal that Paul is asking this with the language he's using, and so yeah. if you're asking something that's a big deal. Um, you probably shouldn't exaggerate or, um, you know, really hide it when it's just more of a want rather than a proper need. Yeah. So I'm I'm hearing just be very ca- cautious and recognize if you are asking someone for something that will uh, that will detract from them in a significant way, right? Like, don't yeah. go into it flippantly. Yeah, pretty much. I, I I'm trying to protect against uh, the danger. I'm trying to take Paul's heart here and what where he seems to be really trying to humble himself to Philemon, and apply yeah. that into how it is that we might ask for a need to those in the church today. So mm-hmm. um, it should be yeah. a place from authenticity and genuine need, rather than trying to hide something that might be more of a want. Am, am I am I on point here, Nate, or am I I'm way off track with where we're at here in the chapter? No, I I think you're on point. Uh, I I think that we might be uh, taking this a bit beyond uh, maybe the original intention, just because in in Philemon I don't see much uh, pointing to Paul talking about uh, relationships within the church, but or or how a church should act or operate or whatnot. But and and that's a conversation that I'd love to have, um, you know, and and discuss more and. But something that is really on my mind, and to build off this, because I, it, I don't really see how churches should act in this, but I do see a very, a, a very complex view of, um, of social relationships and and societal uh, order and standings, because mm-hmm. I mean look, we have we have three groups represented here. Okay, so we have we have Paul on top. He is the spiritual leader of Philemon in the middle. Philemon is the owner of Onesimus. 
Okay, so mm-hmm. so Eric, you mentioned that uh, Philemon is being asked to give up a slave, uh, and that that is a very difficult thing to do. But I think that it's even more challenging, and it's and it's an even harder ask from Paul, because Paul is asking Philemon to receive his slave as equal to him, which yeah, yeah. which you know as we as we maybe this is a good time to transition into more of the topic of slavery because this is radical when we think about uh, historical views of uh, people and the orders that are in place like like this is like uh, like in Indian culture a Brahmin welcoming an untouchable to the table like a you know it in the social caste it would not be acceptable you know so yeah. what and what's beautiful in Philemon is that we have we have an order. We have Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. Paul lowers himself. You know, he says, I, I am a prisoner. I'm an old man. He lowers himself. And also, you know, he, he gets rid of this order. And he comes to the side mm-hmm. of Philemon. He says, we are brothers. And I am asking you to receive Onesimus as a brother. So he takes this vertical cast of Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. And he makes it horizontal. They become... Yeah even across the board that is that is an extreme view in this time period you know to mm-hmm. to welcome a slave to the table as a brother you know like it like what's coming to my mind is uh the prodigal son you know the prodigal son is is uh he is lower in the household than his father that's the societal view you know his father is the head of house he goes and he asks for his inheritance which is completely unacceptable you know that's like saying i wish you were dead and i just want your stuff and so he mm-hmm. takes the father obliges and, and gives him his inheritance he goes and spends it all and then to the point where you know radical spending like out the wazoo he goes nuts and uh falls on his face you know he like he can't he's a slave at this point he's eating uh, pig's food and he goes back mm-hmm. and he lowers himself. He says, "I'm, I'll be your slave. Like I'm, I'm going to uh, be in this kind of societal, this uh, caste system. You know, I'm, I'm worthless now. I'll be your slave." And the husband, uh, the father, welcomes him as his son, again, which is crazy. You know, to see what happened. It, it. I think that this more so plays at um, how we ought to view one another, the, the complex social relationships that that existed in the past and that still exists today because like even in church, you know, I, I, uh, help lead our outreach ministries at the church that I was on staff at. And a part of that outreach was, uh, to homeless people that, that came to our buildings. And it was very interesting to see, um, you know, kind of the, I guess, quote unquote, uh, you know, the untouchables of today, you know, uh, homeless men and women coming and asking for help and us, you know, our protocol was really like, we didn't give out much. Like we, we didn't give handouts. We didn't give bus passes. We didn't give money. We didn't, we didn't give much. Mm -hmm. We, we gave what, what we thought we could. And so it, it's interesting because, you know, reading this, it, it kind of lights my fire and it's, it's just like, man, we, we ought to see each other as brothers, right. To as equal, that none is greater than the other. You know, the only mm-hmm. one greater than us is Jesus. And yeah. and mm-hmm. we, we're all equal. And that, you know, that's a, a sin, you know, being a part of a broken and sinful world. Um, 
and yeah. and so that that's kind of what I see in in Philemon more. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about church stuff too. But um, yeah, I yeah. here here's kind of why I think we were using the language of the church there. Um, I I do in a sense agree with you, Nate, that this does seem to appear to appeal to relationship between human beings on a large scale. But I I think I would push back a little bit and say that I do think this specifically within this letter would appear to apply even more so to those within the church. Um, No, it doesn't say the word church proper, but he's talking about a beloved brother in, in verse 16. And then even further, he says, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So we're speaking about people, how they treat each other as being both in the flesh and in the Lord. So this is relationships of folks who are within the the universal church proper, I would argue. And then in verse three, even in the beginning as well, he's he's also greeting him saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if he was talking about, you know, Philemon just treating a non-believer slave or something like that, um, mm-hmm. There wouldn't be much of an appeal, right? Verse sixteen wouldn't be in the in the book at all, because they're they're not they wouldn't be in flesh and in the Lord together, brothers in the Lord. So, on one level, I think this does say something about how we relationally treat people with equal dignity and equal value, um, as I think the whole rest of Scripture does. But I do think there is a special sense in the sense that. Um, this is what Christians are called to do. This is how we're called to treat each other when we're in flesh and in the Lord. Um, yeah, and definitely. we ought to I, model that, that, that certain order that God has put. So I do think in that sense that it does apply to the church specifically. And that's, I think, how we were trying to apply it there. No, definitely. I, and I totally agree with that. And I, I uh, am not arguing against that. And I, I would argue that what Paul is talking about in Philemon does apply to uh, the Christian community and how we ought to relate to one another within that community. I guess mm-hmm. my misunderstanding then about what you and Jacob were talking about is the 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 how the pragmatics of uh, inner church workings and how how we ought to express mm-hmm. uh, a want or a desire within church. That to me that came down to how we mm-hmm. ought to order the church, how what kind of programs or what kind of atmosphere we ought to build mm-hmm. up in the church. And I guess that what I was just trying to talk about is is how this vertical relationship of of uh, Paul being like master, Philemon being you know kind of a, a middle ground, and then Onesimus being a slave gets flipped on its side and turned horizontal, and how the relationship among Christian brothers is not uh, it, it's not a, a caste system or it's not uh, yeah. ordered in that way. But we we are the order is made right when we put uh, Christ ahead of us. And, no, I'm, and lower I'm glad. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, I could see how somebody could take what we were saying that way. But Jacob, yeah, f- please comment further on that. Yeah, I think maybe the distinction uh, is collapsed between you know the the conversation uh, with Eric and I, and then when Nate jumped in, I think that the the two uh, the two you could say the two planes that we're speaking on are collapsed or, or brought together. Uh, in talking about posture, right? So if we were to talk about uh, whether the posture is of each brother in the church 
or the posture uh, of the individual um, as they as they consider themselves as, as a part of a wider network of brethren, I think that that might help clarify the the disjunction there. Like, uh, I think what Eric and I were talking about is like what posture if we were to have a need uh, as as a uh, as trying to live into this reality of the of the collapsed distinctions, right? Like you said, the the collapsed um, hierarchy. Um, if we were to live into that, how how would we do that in a way that's still honoring to Christ and doesn't end up with us like mooching, right? Like how or how does that how does that uh, how do we be cautious and make sure that all of our asking is also coming from a place of love? Because giving feels like it's already like it, 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 for those who are generous in the church, it already feels like they're coming from a place of love. But I think the 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 disruption for us, especially in the Western church, is in seeing ourselves as needy as well as, uh, um, as you know, those who can be generous, right? Like, I think there's a, there's a, a, a desire to not look impoverished, right? And so, um, m- it may be more, more about posture, which kind of brings us both onto the same playing field. Does that, does that clarify? I, I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think where we got lost a little bit is I think Nate kind of saw it as we were talking more about church order, um, and oh, I yeah, think no. you said like like services and stuff. I don't think that's what we were trying to to yeah. discuss. Yeah, I definitely there, misunderstood though. that point. Yeah, I think we were more so just talking about you know how do we express needs and wants in the church, um, and what are the dangers of doing so, and and the danger being. Uh, it's not actually a genuine place of need uh and we're just more so trying to hide a want that we have and we might be doing it at the detriment of another person within the church that's kind of where we were coming from and then then Nate, i think you did tie it in really well in the sense that well this doesn't just apply to christians when they face other christians in the church um we ought to be humble ourselves uh and see other people with equal dignity and value on a on a horizontal scale a plane level with every human being because they're created in the image of god um Mm -hmm. and because they have inherent value so i think it's both and i think the the heart at which paul is making his appeal here to philemon applies in both uh you know christian to christian relationship and in christian to the rest of the world relationship as well yeah yeah that's so that's good. And, and Nate, if you misunderstood us, that means we probably weren't being clear. So thank you for, for you know, pointing it out because that's yeah. – we want to be clear. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I think that bridges us into the next topic. I mean, like, we can get we can get real into it now. And we got 15 minutes to – I mean, maybe more than that. Um, we might need more than that to discuss yeah. uh, the church's history with and the church's – proper attitude towards the institution of slavery mm-hmm. um so there's there's one thing i think kind of to lay a foundation as we step into this topic i just want to say something really quick i'd love mm-hmm. to talk about because i know there's other passages in scripture such as ephesians 6 um where people take great issue with some of paul's language around slavery mm-hmm. it might be helpful just to take because i think there's actually something 
really positive to say here um, regarding the issue of slavery um, in the book of Philemon. So maybe we should just keep it to what Paul is saying in the book of Philemon and how that relates to slavery. And then if we have some other historical things we want to bring into that question, perhaps that would be helpful. But uh, I don't want to take away from the severity of Paul's statements here in Philemon by taking other statements he made elsewhere, because then we would have to break down the context of which he was saying those other things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it might be too broad a scope for this episode. Yeah. Uh, I think what might be helpful as well uh, is really just to uh, at least take a look or, or bring to our minds what slavery looked like in this time period. Um because yeah. so the institution of slavery has been around forever. You know, it's it's just been uh, one of the facts of a sinful and broken world. And and I think that really, you know, as humans have tried to reorder the universe, and as we have tried to not the universe but the world, uh, as we try to capture and control uh, these kind of societal layers and these power structures, uh, they. they uh, they come about. And so, uh, slavery is not, is not something that is only in the last few hundred years. It's been around since the dawn of time. Um, and so what, from your guys's, uh, education experience or, or knowledge, what, what was slavery like at this time period? Uh, maybe we can start there. It's tough to say. I, I know more about old Testament biblical slavery than I do, uh, first century Roman slavery. Um, I would imagine first century Roman slavery was not in conformity with uh, Old Testament Israelite uh, idea of slavery, which I understand to be more in tune with indentured servitude, um, it, to put it in more of a modern scope. But what yeah, I can, do... Can you define that real quick, indentured servitude? Yeah, so indentured servitude... The way I understand it, and and I will make the caveat that I am no expert on slavery nor indentured servitude, but (laughs) the way I understand it is um, it's more of a temporary situation in where somebody is working in order to pay off some sort of debt or to uh, perhaps even just provide for one's own family if they find themselves in that situation. So it's not permanent in the sense that uh, where you know, North American chattel slavery was, um, you're born into it and there's no way out of it for the entirety of your life. Uh, and you're, and you're severely mistreated, uh, by, uh, your master and whoever, um, had some sort of control or authority over you. Right. And it was also race-based slavery as well. So we we can't ignore that, but I think that it, Throughout Thank you history. for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah, the, there is race-based uh, slavery and and racism, obviously, um, but I think in this time period, in, indentured servitude, at least, you know, as we yeah. compare race-based slavery with indentured servitude, indentured servitude uh, wasn't on the basis of race, but it could be the, these kind of societal relationships where, uh, you know, either you have a debt and you pay it off by being an indentured servitude. Uh, yeah. Is that right, Eric? Uh, yeah. So to kind of make like que- three quick hitter statements in the way I understand this working kind of how people take it in modern senses and in the biblical sense, 
in the biblical sense, in the Old Testament, slavery was something that was always temporary and that God had specifically ordered in order for somebody to pay off a debt or to um, do something in that sort of nature, right? Um, in first century Roman context, I would imagine uh, slavery could have been, uh, I just don't know, but perhaps a lifelong thing. But I'm pretty confident in saying that it was not race-based. And I don't think it was race-based until chattel slavery um, in the North American uh, slave trade in the modern sense of the term. So yeah, kind of those quick distinctions is Old Testament slavery is not like modern chattel slavery that you saw um, with colonizers coming to America from uh, from the East. Um, and yeah, I, I, it, it was just different in, in its nature, in my understanding. Now that's, we can get into the morality of it all, but did, am I missing anything here before we continue on with well, Philemon? There's also the, the reality of conquest. I think that that needs to be brought into this as well. I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I would imagine that New Testament slavery also benefited from conquest um, and, and fueled yeah. uh, itself by conquest because of the advance of the Roman Empire. But uh, the, the Old Testament definitions around slavery basically put in prescriptions for how you ought to treat slaves differently, whether or not they are from... Um, different, uh, different hereditary backgrounds. Maybe not quite race in the way that we would see it, but um, rather uh, cultural or or uh, like bloodline heritage. Right? It's it's all about um, if they are not a, a people that worship the God of Israel, then they can basically be owned indefinitely. Whereas people who are uh, the Jewish people, if they were to take slaves for themselves. Uh, of their own people were to release them after a set amount of time. I believe it's every seven years. Yeah, I think um, that's that's what it was. Yeah. So so that plays a role in this as well. The and I think part of the reality of why we, I think, I, I have a theory that the reason that we look so heavily uh, down on the the institution of slavery partly of course is because of chattel slavery there's yes. no there's no way in which we can cleanse our palate from the atrocity of chattel slavery yes um and that's going to color the way that we that we speak about slavery for the foreseeable future as american christians yeah. um and historians I, yeah as americans it's and that's kind of i think why we're mentioning this at the moment is when we see that word slave in the bible or slavery that kind of set history that we have in our mind of chattel slavery is immediately going to be imported when we see that word. So it's important to hopefully set that word slave or slavery within its own proper context. And that's, I think, what we're trying to attempt to do because it's sure. it wasn't the same thing at that time as it was with chattel slavery. But that just as a clarifier, please continue, Jacob. Yeah, no, and that's that's good. That's exactly right. What it what it means for uh, like God's view of this era of slavery does not um, does not legitimate uh, American chattel slavery. It would be the simplest way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I think that we as Americans and Westerners uh, in the modern era 
have a hard time with the notion of slavery because we have imbibed deeply of a very egalitarian approach to human life and society. Mm-hmm. So we're dealing with um, egalitarian meaning uh, each person is equal with one another. Um, and that's through many, many movements that have sought egal- uh, e- equality as, uh, a sort of, um, as a sort of gem within social movements. So, so I just think, I think that that's part of why we, we, we look so down upon the idea of slavery is because we can't even imagine a society nowadays that keeps slaves for itself and then beyond that, we can't imagine a violent institution of slavery um, as moral because we have distanced ourselves so much from violence um, in yeah. our modern context. I, I think that um, there's always been varying degrees of violence uh, within within different cultural settings in the world's history. Um, mm. And the fact that God, um, let's say, dips himself into humanity, um, or or comes to comes to play with humanity, comes to um, have some sort of a feasible re- working relationship with humanity, and um, therefore adopts the the cultural acceptance of violence, does not mean that 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 level of violence is necessitated throughout the rest of human history right so like when we see the the um canaanite conquests in the old testament that doesn't mean that the people of god need to be as violent as they were back then um it it also doesn't mean that god that that the uh that um that those eras of human history were completely divorced from god's goodness because they were violent it's just that we have different uh, different levels of uh, 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 we have a different level of of acceptance for or or uh, we have a different um, I'm trying to think of the right word we have a different sensitivity a degree of sensitivity to violence now and we will accept much less of it now than yeah. we uh, than we used to but yeah. I think that will go for the future as well. I think people in the future will probably look at our society and we, they will say either we were way too peaceful, like we didn't accept enough violence, or they will say we were way too violent um, and we, they'll call us immoral and that doesn't mean that we feel immoral, right? Yeah. Like it's part of being in broken humanity is that, that we don't always see when we're, um, when we're ordering the cosmos poorly. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. So perhaps we should get in just real quick to the idea of slavery within Philemon as we're coming yeah. close to, to time here. Um, and I'll just say this real quick and, and hear your guys' response to it. Um, as far as my knowledge extends um, of the entire canon of the New Testament, or not just the New Testament, of the of the Bible in general – I don't believe the Bible anywhere directly repudiates slavery in like plain in the plain sense of the term. Like you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible that says slavery is wrong. Do not do it in any sense. Um, However, that being said with this chapter here in Philemon, if there ever is an argument for the utter abolition of slavery, slavery, 
I, I think you you would have it here in Philemon, particularly with verse 16 uh, as he kind of completes his argument there. Um, Philemon, or Paul has just basically asked uh, Philemon to no longer hold a slave um, and rather accept him as a brother on an equal plane as Nate was saying earlier, right? So no more slavery. And that appears to be in line with God's vision for humanity or human beings holding equal value and dignity to one another. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anywhere anywhere in what I just said that you guys want to push back on or do I seem in, in step here? Nate, you go first. No, I, I think you're right on. Um, I'm trying to formulate my thoughts around this, but um, yeah, it... I'm, I'm hesitant, but I kind of want to play devil's advocate a little bit sure. um, and just kind of just give a thought and give you guys a chance to respond. I'm not saying I'm, I think this or anything, but I could see someone making an argument then, uh, and maybe this argument was made in the past, that Onesimus should not be received as a slave because he became a Christian. Uh, mm. So should he be received as a slave? if he was not a Christian. Mm. Do you see what, what the question is or yep. what, yeah. what the argument may be? So I'm, again, yeah. I'm not saying that I believe that, but I could see somebody being caught up on that or somebody using that as an argument. Well, yeah. we should therefore uh, keep people in this state until they change or until their heart has changed or until they receive and believe in Christ. Uh, and then we receive them as a brother. What, what would you guys say to, to that argument? I Just off the top of my head, that just seems out of the scope of what Paul is talking about here. Um, he's not saying if, because he's a Christian, or, well, he's not saying that uh, it's only because he's a Christian that he shouldn't be a slave, but he is making the appeal that because they're brothers, he shouldn't be a slave. Uh, brothers in Christ, I should say, they shouldn't be a slave. Um, so, um, to me, when I when I read this and I read verse sixteen, I'm seeing it as um, I'm remembering the fact that Paul is making an appeal; he's not making a command, right? So, in verse sixteen, when I read that, I see it as the ideal vision of God's restoration of humanity from sin is that everybody with one another um if they come together in christ if you're in christ there is no longer any slave master relation it's just brothers together united in christ so on the one hand i see what you're saying there nate um uh and i can see how somebody could get hung up on that but i think more of paul's vision here is just uh you know, because of what Christ has done, because of his work on the cross, um, we can rid ourselves of, of that sin um, of kind of poor, a poor idea of slavery and, and see each other on an equal playing field and relate to each other in that way. And I think that hopefully I'm espousing that correctly is what Paul is going, is trying to express here in, in verse 16. Hmm. Yeah, I think it might help if we decentered, or if we de- 
we de uh, we detached the notion of the ideal being freedom for Onesimus. Yeah. Uh, in a legal sense, right? Like being, yeah, yeah. being legally let go. Um, because I'm not even entirely sure that's what Paul is saying here. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the the freeing of Onesimus might be more circumstantial than it is um, like uh, grounded in virtue, right? So what I mean by that is I think that what Paul is asking for here is that, that An- Onesimus would be... Uh, a, a, a kind of his own servant or you know son as he says but but basically he he is taking the role of serving uh serving paul and so i i guess maybe i would say um like it says in verse 13 i would i would have i would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he may serve me on your behalf Right, mm-hmm. so I don't think that Paul's necessarily trying to detach Onesimus from the idea of being a servant, but rather is trying to um, frame the master-slave relationship or master-servant relationship within the the uh, human dignity that both have been imbued with, um, and the and the um, and the I think even beyond that the debt being paid the the having been purchased of each of the individuals by christ uh which i think allows for that kind of uh uh deterioration of the hierarchy so it doesn't i don't think it means that necessarily like in the same way that he would say um you know children obey your fathers but fathers don't exacerbate your children right Mm -hmm. like I, i i think the heart behind that isn't to say there is no father, there is no son in, yeah, yeah. in God's kingdom. It's not to de- de- deteriorate the status itself, but rather to ground it differently so that, um, so that the father finds himself uh, bound to his son and not only the son bound to the father. And so I would say in the same way, um, I think Paul's ethic, and I'm sorry, this kind of exceeds beyond the, um, just the, the book of Philemon, but I, th- I think that the ethic that he's trying, that he's maybe pulling on, the universal ethic that he's pulling on for this specific instance, is the the brotherness of our neighbor exceeds any earthly or fleshly um, ties that we may have to them, whether that's within hierarchy or not, right? Like, in the same way that he would say there's no male or female. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean that we're not males or not we're not females in the flesh. But mm-hmm. that in Christ, none of that matters. It's obliterated and uh, and it's resituated from the ground of Christian uh, self-sacrificial love. Yeah, that's beautifully said, Jacob. Yeah, um, let me push back a little bit. Let me see what you have to say about this. Um, I do All think right. that it, what you are saying uh, is that is a one proper way that you could uh, read Philemon as it as it goes here. Um, what about verse fifteen, where he says? For this is perhaps why he has parted from you for a while, that you might that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant. And then, of course, as it goes on, um, I think in one sense you could read that um, as not just saying like uh, this. There's something beyond uh, the relationship of slavery that you have here. You have to look to the greater relationship you have as brothers in Christ. 
and therefore that um uh we got to look past that that kind of category of slave master but i think one could probably read 15 and 16 together and and say that um perhaps paul is arguing that uh philemon sorry excuse me onesimus ought to be uh ought to be free in that sense um literally speaking so i i could see it being read that way what do you think uh, good question. I, I mean, I I guess the the point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't matter whether or not Onesimus is actually freed or not. Okay. Um, yeah. But that the the relationship that you you could say the form of the relationship may remain, but the content of the relationship has been completely uh, replaced by mm-hmm. brotherly affection, right? Ah. So I think what he's saying is you know like. Um, it would be possible to keep somebody as a slave while also treating them like a brother. Like, it's not impossible to do so. Mm-hmm. So whether or not Onesimus is actually freed here, because I, I could see either way. Um, I could see either either interpretation, his his literal freedom, uh, or his, you know, you could say his transferred in, uh, servitude from, from uh, Philemon to Paul. Um, yeah. I could see either of them remaining, but I, I think the, the importance is that neither Philemon nor Paul see him as a slave, but as a brother. And, mm. and that's the key, right? Um, yeah, the, I, I think yeah. you're on track. I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, but for those who, who might be more sensitive to this passage where maybe it's, uh, this topic is a bit more um, hard-hitting, uh, mm-hmm. and, and how it's how it's coming and actually talking about freedom from slavery. Um, yeah. You know, my, my pushback that I was going to offer uh, to kind of support that perhaps this could go even further to say that this is suggesting literal freedom from mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Philemon is that I think the metaphors that you are using break down a little bit in the sense that... Uh, father-son relationship and male-female are immutable categories that will will not change whereas Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. slavery and again i say this kind of lightly because i'm not entirely sure of how slavery worked within this time uh context Mm -hmm. um but slavery is something that that i would not see as immutable that can change and so in this Mm -hmm. when when you have that kind of in the back of your mind when you read verses 15 and 16 perhaps it does go beyond that uh just like uh looking beyond current relationship to next to well this actual relationship that you have between each other uh in life right now uh should change also and i could see it being read that way um but perhaps just my ignorance of how slavery worked within the roman context this time uh, doesn't help with how Paul might be intending it uh, to his audience as he was writing it, and perhaps he did mean it your way in in general. No, and I, I think I think you're you're you've you've pointed out an important question, which is: is there something in, intrinsic to the relationship of master slave that negates or or or? Uh, uh, pushes back on the possibility that limits the possibility of treating someone within brotherly love right like that i think that's the essence of the question is um can you legitimately treat somebody with brotherly love 
while also owning them or while also having this sort of uh, bound relationship to them that's mm-hmm. that's asymmetrical right mm-hmm. um and so and and that's actually a really good question i i would say there is something intrinsic in slavery that that basically requires freedom of the slaves um if they are to be treated in brotherly love um i would say that i'm i'm uncertain though at the same time that there aren't degrees or or a progression of brotherly love that might be embraced as as still good within the context so it might be that philemon by the end when he's released onesimus but maybe he still keep, like say he kept him as a slave uh in name but allowed him to go do the thing that he needed to do with paul it might be that he's just not embodying the ideal of what it would be, but he's made significant strides towards it, right? Mm. Um, like, I, I do think that at the end of the day, it is um, that the freedom of the slaves is, is required um, for, as a, as a last step, at least, yeah. um, in, in, in completing brotherly love. Yeah. So that's a good point. That, that was a good pushback, and it got me thinking, so... Yeah. Good. What do you What do you think, Nate? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, just for uh, myself, really, and for people listening, let Let's restate the question just to uh, be on the same page. Yeah the the question was kind of um, the the two metaphors that Jacob was using to say that perhaps uh, Paul isn't arguing for. Uh, Onesimus's complete freedom it was the father-son relationship like um, children obey uh, your fathers um, fathers don't exacerbate your sons and then mm-hmm. uh, there is no ma- male or female in Christ um, both of those categories that he was speaking of are categories that are not going to change as long as you live um, your son will always be your son your father will always be your father um, I know this one is debated, but I, in my view, uh, if you're male, you will always be male. If you are female, you will always be female. And I don't see those categories mm-hmm. as cha- as changing. Slave-master relationships is, in some sense, in certain contexts, contractual. Um, mm-hmm. And something that I would argue can change. And so the question was, uh, how does that kind of relate to the message of what Philemon is talking about here where he's telling him that Onesimus is no longer as a bondservant but more than a bondservant and then uh, on a broader scale uh, should I, I think even you were touching Jacob should slavery continue today or ultimately as time moves on uh, should there be no slavery period and what I was going to comment really quick on what you said there jacob is i have a hard time imagining that in uh in eternity forward i have a hard time imagining that there would be slavery in god's perfect restored world where sin is no more um so i do think the ideal is no slavery period in the world yeah, I, I think w- what I would say to that, uh, Jacob, I'll, I'll let you formulate your thoughts and, and let you uh, let you speak. But um, yeah, I want to reiterate that I think that Philemon is really hitting home uh, 
uh, the social relationships and and how we how we view the people in our life. Uh, I think Paul is making a direct appeal to Philemon to change his view of Onesimus from a slave to a brother. And so I think that as we think about this relationship between between slave and and quote unquote master, um, somebody. Uh, a, a uh, I'm just going to use those terms uh, for the time being. Uh, a master could have a slave and treat him as a brother. Uh, there, are, I think that there are certain ways that a a quote unquote master could uplift his slave to to the status of a brother. You know, in, in this time period, uh, you would eat with the ma- or the slave would eat with the master. Uh, the slave would use the master's property. Uh, he would be elevated out of the societal ramifications of being a slave and be brought in as as a brother, as a part of the master's family. And so I, I think even outside of a master-slave relationship, let, let, let's take, for example, in, in modern day world, if there was still slavery around and a master elevated their slave out of slavery and into a uh, hired hand type thing, there could be an extreme amount of abuse in that relationship where where the mm-hmm. employer then abuses the worker uh, to the point mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. The, the, the relationship looks more like slavery uh, than mm-hmm. a master and slave relationship uh, in that way. So I think that we were trying to hit on, you know, could, can we elevate a slave to the status of brother uh, in this kind of societal ramification, you know, in, in this societal ordering. And I think that uh, even if we did, there's still an extreme amount of abuse that can be had. And so I think that the heart of it is, uh, actually, there's a note here in my study Bible, and um, I'll, I'll just read it real quick. It says, slavery was ri- widespread throughout the Roman Empire. In these early days, Christians did not have the political power to change the slavery system. Uh, Paul didn't condemn or condone slavery, but he worked to transform relationships. Uh, the gospel begins to change social structures by changing the people within those structures. Yeah, no, that's good. I I think um, so. Maybe to flip this on its head before I close close this out. You can I close this out on this? Please. Yeah. Cool. Um, I here's what comes to mind for me to go back to matthew chapter 20 the ideal is not no slavery it's complete and utter slavery from everybody right but jesus called yes yeah i was also thinking this as well yeah yeah so so um so we have the hive mind coming in now (laughs) uh uh yeah uh verse 26 it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you so whoever embodies the call of the christian life uh at the at the ideal of what it would be um you must be uh uh you you must be your servant and whoever uh would be uh first among you must be your slave so man i think to end this off slavery is not um the 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 atrocity of slavery is not the slavery itself it's the masterhood over atop the slavery um the 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 idea that we consider ourselves worthy to hold people um account to either their debts 
um, in the in the idea of bond servant, uh, like a kind of an indentured servitude or bond servanthood, um, or that we could own people themselves, um, gets completely de uh, destroyed in the idea of uh, Christ becoming the servant who who calls all people as servants to himself. Right? We are all servants of Christ, but not servants of Christ in in a way that like Christ is some sort of domineering master, but rather in the sense that Christ, uh, we are fellow servants with Christ. Um, we we uh, we take up into ourselves um, the from the body of Christ. We we spring out as servants um, in the same way that the 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 one that we follow was a servant of all. And so I think that's the key is that that um, m even more than considering ourselves brothers uh, in Christ, uh, we we are. Um, we are slaves to one another. We are owned by one another. We are accountable to one another. And uh, the one who has given themselves in slavery, in servitude, to uh, to all other men is the greatest. Um, and so, like, if we were all to picture some sort of uh, perfect society, that's what it would look like. It would look like a complete binding of, of ourselves to one another, a complete deferential love, a sacrificial love, a servant-like love. Uh, for one another. So, um, that being said, I'll, I'll kind of close us off here. Um, I'll close us off in, in saying, um, may we all come to see slavery not as something to be, um, feared, uh, or, or kind of pushed under the rug, but at, rather as the, as the, um, as the ideal, as the call that Christ gives to us, um, that Christ is to be found among those who who are the slaves, um, that that's the people group to which he has has identified and, and, and bound himself, um, and and so that we ought to be the same. So I'll go ahead and close us there, um, and uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Triclinium. Um, we will see you guys on the next episode, and as always, may Christ be exalted.